Welcome back, everybody. Today we have Keith Norris, entrepreneur, founder of Paleo FX, and key player at ARX Fit and Efficient Exercise. And I have to say, he's also a guy who is at least twice as fit as most of the people who are half his age. Um, but before we learn Keith's secrets to success, I have an exciting announcement. One of the reasons we haven't published an episode in a while on the podcast is because we've been working hard to release our new finger-based HRV sensor, and it's now live over on Kickstarter. So, woohoo! It's called CoreSense, that's C-O-R-S-E-N-S-E, -E, and it's really shaking things up in the heart rate variability world because it is built from the ground up specifically for accurate heart rate variability measurement from your fingertip. All of the details and videos and charts of this new HRV device are over on the Kickstarter page. Um, and I just have to say a huge thank you to our community here at Elite HRV. Um, the super early bird pricing tier has already sold out over there, but there's still some highly discounted units that are available. So just search for CoreSense um, anywhere on Google or anywhere, C-O-R-S-E-N-S-E. Or just hit up EliteHRV.com because we have links posted to it everywhere. Um, yep, thanks. Really exciting times. The campaign is going well. And now on to Keith Norris. Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. And we're live. Welcome back to the Elite HRV podcast. And we've got Keith Norris joining us today, who is a partner in Efficient Exercise, ARX Fit, co-founder of Paleo Effects, a founding member of ID Life, and also of Entrepreneur Effects now too, right? Yeah. Wow. All that's been said, I can leave the podcast now. All right. Done. <laughs> um, <laughs> Quickest podcast ever. <laughs> Uh, no, it's it's great. Uh, you know, Keith, uh, I've known you for a few years now, and I've been fortunate to be able to work with you directly and learn a lot from you. Um, and so uh, you kind of under have undergone an interesting evolution from a, a business and career perspective, as well as a health and life and perspective and all this stuff. Um, you know, why don't we just start real quick with that? You started, you were in corporate America uh, years back and then kind of evolved into this serial entrepreneur. How did all that, what's the little one-on-one story of Keith Norris there? Yeah. So the, so the genesis of that, uh, you know, I grew up as a, grew up as an athlete, uh, grew up in South Texas, uh, around San Antonio, um, ran track and field, played football, uh, played, uh, football at Texas state on scholarship, um, after my playing days were over with, went into the military because that was the, uh, you know, that was the closest thing I could, I could do to stay in the boys club, so to speak. I, I love the atmosphere of competing and the, uh, military was a natural extension of that. Uh, spent, uh, actually finished my degree while I was in the military, uh, had the option to go on to law school while I was in the military. And I think now, you know, I look back on that, opted not to do that, <laughs> um, which, uh, you know, look, looking back at the course of my life, I'm really glad I did not do that, uh, because that would have meant I probably would have stayed in the military for, uh, you know, for made a career out of it, which is not a bad career. It's just, um, that's just not the way my life trajectory went. Um, left the military after nine years, went into corporate America and worked with, uh, in an industry, uh, big pharma industry actually, which is kind of a, an ironic twist. Um, it worked in, uh, big pharma for roughly 18 years. And as I matriculated up through the ranks in big pharma, kind of, you know, once you reach a certain point in an industry, you get to peek behind the scenes and uh, kind of got a look at what Big Pharma was all about and did not like what I saw and really knew that I could affect health in a much better way, much more effectively um, by going out and meeting people uh, where the rubber meets the road. And uh, that was by affecting their diet, affecting their workout. 
um, in affecting you know how they how they lived day to day versus trying to uh, create drugs that uh, would treat a symptom. Um, and uh, long story short, uh, a couple of uh, financial crises: first the dot com implosion, and then the uh, then the mortgage lending crisis kind of made me realize and made my wife Michelle realize that the the system was not necessarily set up with our best interest at heart. So we decided to uh, decided to take control of that and really fully, full on, take control of our own lives. Not just in the in the health sense, but in the the financial sense as well. And just decided to dive out of the system, just check out of the system completely, and become entrepreneurs. Um, so that's that's it in a nutshell. Um, came down to Austin at that time. Uh, partnered with Mark Alexander at Efficient Exercise and Arcs Fit, and uh, about a year after that, uh, a year or two years after that, we all decided to to co-found Paleo FX. And awesome. The rest is history. After that, Paleo FX took off. You know, way more than our wildest dreams. We we thought really that it was going to be a one-off event, and we'd just have a good time, and you know put a notch on our belts for having done an event like that. But uh, it, it turned into something totally, totally different than what we foresaw. And uh, we're super glad that it did. And it's it's always, you know, uh, it's risky to, to dive out of the system like that and go into the entrepreneur world. Um, but those are the types of things that happen, right, is unexpected, benefits that you wouldn't have imagined when you first took the dive. That's totally um, it. That's uh, living life on the edge. And that's where the, you know, the life is, life is lived on the fringes. And uh, it, for us, it was really a swan dive into the abyss. We really had no idea. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of comforts in working in corporate America. Um, well, they're, I, I could say they're false comforts. You kind of get lulled into this idea that whoever you're working for is going to be there forever. Um, that the financial situation is going to be what it is forever. And I think, you know, both of those financial uh, collapses that I mentioned, first of all, the dot-com collapse. And then for, for us, the, uh, the big wake-up call was the uh, mortgage lending crisis. Um, and we realized that, hey, we cannot we cannot rely on the system, right? We're going to have to rely on ourselves. And so we're going to have to reinvent ourselves. And how do we go about doing that? Well, the easiest way to do that is to reinvent yourself as an entrepreneur and to really put the, the tools that you have at your disposal, which for us was, you know, we had certain skills. Uh, myself as a trainer, Michelle as a chef, and we just decided to leverage those skills and uh, take a chance and go out and see what the wide world had to offer. Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I can, I, this is so, somewhere along the way in that little timeline uh, with efficient exercise and in the early days of paleo effects is when this uh, young trainer guy named Jason came along and uh, ran into Keith and uh, Keith was kind enough to uh, shed some of that knowledge onto me as we work together and, and help build my experience as a trainer and um, round out some of my nutrition and, and all this stuff too. And um, also, you were a big encouragement to me um, with starting Elite HRV and getting into the, the health tech, leveraging some of my uh, expertise, I suppose, from the um, oil and gas IT stuff that I did. And everybody on this podcast knows my story, but I, uh, that's where we collided. And uh, it's been a few years now, which has been awesome. It is. And there are no coincidences, right? People come into your life who you need to come into your life. And uh, yeah, that was a that was a great uh, period of time that we shared together. And uh, yeah, we learned a lot off of each other. It, totally. And, you know, one of the more um, funny things to learn is uh, when you come in from having mostly a CrossFit background from the training side and then um, digging in with Keith on uh, a little bit deeper and, he, and he's like, oh, you want to see high intensity? Let me, let me throw you on this uh, ARX machine real quick and show you what high intensity really is. And, yeah. Uh, but in a safe and controlled way, of course, and sure, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that. Um, so it, it opened my eyes a ton to the possibilities. 
Um, but yeah, so let's let's start off kind of back then. So um, efficient exercise, ARX fit, paleo effects, these all kind of link together around a common theme for you. And uh, Michelle, you and Michelle kind of had this brand of ancestral momentum um, and then theory to practice. You know, uh, what was it that kind of tied all of this together for you? Is it the the paleo ancestral concept? Is it um, you know, what's kind of that early theme that you were? Yeah, I, I, I guess if there was an early theme, it was that uh, everything, health, wellness, um, financial markets, it, everything within our life can be tied back to an evolutionary perspective, right? There, you know, nature exists as it does because of an evolutionary push. And so that everything you look at in life can be traced back some, it can be mimicked somehow in nature. Um, and that really was the theme throughout our creating all of this. That's what led us to the paleo diet. You know, that's, but that's probably the obvious offshoot of that. But, um, it also, it also taught us to be, um, uh, operate in, in, in a tribe situation, right. With common interests and common pursuits and that, that really elevates the uh, person's psychological well-being. Um, it, and even in exercise, I mean, if you look at exercise um, from an evolutionary perspective, um, you know, you have the long tail of, of uh, kind of slow, low-intensity uh, movement uh, punctuated by periodic spikes of very, very high-intensity work output. Um, and that work output can and should include both very, very high intensity, uh, weightlifting, um, uh, you know, basically lifting heavy things off the ground, putting it up in the air and, um, should also be punctuated by bursts of sprints. And mm-hmm. that kind of rounded out my, my training philosophy and it made sense to me. And e- even in training, um, it, being a former athlete myself, and in the work that I did with especially football players, um, you, when I lived in North Carolina at East Carolina University, it was kind of one of my hobbies was working with collegiate and high school football players. Um, but even in the, the training of very, very specific and specialized athletes, you see the same kind of a setup there. Um, and I couldn't help but to recognize it, it, it always folded back to this evolutionary perspective. Um, no matter how we might try to outsmart evolution using science, that basis was was there. And the, and the key to all of this was not try to outsmart by science, but to work with nature with science. So to uh, to leverage technology in the technology that we had and the intelligence that we have to work with nature versus trying to subvert it or to outsmart it. Yeah, that that makes complete sense, and I I like the um, metaphor or the I don't know what the right description is, but the paragraph in um, Paul and uh, Jaminet's book, The Perfect Health Diet, where at the very beginning he talks about um, what is it a parable? It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> basically, where there's a few uh, blind men. And they're all feeling an elephant and they're told to describe the elephant and they each feel a different piece of the elephant. So one feels the trunk, one feels the tusk, the leg, whatever. And they all uh, describe it accurately from their small point of view, but none of them can describe the whole elephant in entirety. Um, And I'm probably butchering this completely, uh, but... But essentially is what it, what the point was is that it's important to be able to see the big picture of the whole elephant. And then when you start drilling into the d- specifics of each section, you have like a big picture template to work off of that you always keep in mind. Um, so again, yeah, totally butchered that uh, yeah, whether analogy. It's a parable or, whether it's a parable or metaphor, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> <And it's, laughs> you know, in, in science, uh, where it has gone off the tracks, has lost that big picture overview, right? And so it's, it, it totally tries to drill down into the specifics. Um, science, as it operates today, operates very much in silos. Um, and 
you know, discipline. There's not a whole lot of cross-disciplinary talk. And this is, this is in my, you know, my point of view is where science has gone off the rails and, and gone down some wrong paths. And especially when it comes to, to diet and fitness and exercise and, um, psychology even, and, you know, what is it that makes a person happy? What are the constituents of that? Um, and yeah, when you look at it from the, uh, from the elephant metaphor, I guess we'll use the term metaphor now, <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, not you know the the guy the guy that's feeling the trunk, not talking to the guy that's feeling the tail. Yeah, you're going to lose a lot of perspective there, and what this whole entity is. And I think backing out a way to go, everything is and comes of nature, and we have to get back, and we have to keep that perspective. Um, human beings are not separate from nature. We're not better than nature. You know, we are nature. We are animals and we did evolve in a crucible under certain uh, epigenetic um, environments and we need to be true to that and we need to always keep that big picture in mind when we when we begin to look at health and uh, you know the modern technologies that we're going to use to better leverage health vis-a-vis the environments we live in now Um, I think one of the misconceptions of the whole paleo movement is that we all want to move back to the cave and spear which, you know, nothing could be further than the, from the truth. Um, many of us enjoy, and myself, I enjoy living in a, in a big, bustling city. But I have to do things to be able to enable myself to be healthy in that environment. Um, and so what, what are those things? And what are the technologies that I can leverage to make myself healthy, even though I'm living in an environment that I was, you know, that is alien to my being, really? you know, from an evolutionary perspective. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it might surprise folks to hear too, that the paleo community, actually a, a ton of them are fully embracing of technology and often on the cutting edge of technology when it comes to trying new things and trying to um, biohack and do all of these types of things. Um, you know, whether it's just that tinkerer mindset that tends to kind of underlie the the paleo community in general uh, or something. But there is definitely an, an embracing of technology that happens there. It certainly uh, is. You know, the, the first couple of years of paleo effects, I think that if, uh, if biohacking would have been a part of that, uh, well, let me back up and just say biohacking was not a big part of the, of the paleo movement at that time. Uh, but it has become in the last, uh, the last few years, a major portion of the paleo movement um, for that reason, um, because we because we realize there is a difference between living a paleo lifestyle and utilizing these technologies to enhance that lifestyle. Um, and the two can coexist and they should coexist. Yeah. And it's not to, you know, be too philosophical, which <clears throat> um, but. I kind of say, I like to say unnatural situations call for unnatural solutions sometimes. For sure. Right? And so, you know, of course there was no hunter-gatherer that had an ARX machine or, you know, HRV monitor or anything like that. But the they were in their natural uh, evolutionary environment and didn't need these kind of unnatural solutions to mitigate some of that damage of the modern lifestyle. Um, so it's kind of like what you were just saying, you know, uh, it's great that we have cities and culture and different things to experience and all this, but we also got to take some steps to mitigate some of that damage that our bodies aren't used to, or from an evolutionary perspective, at least not used to experiencing. I mean, that's totally true. You know, we evolved as, um, obligate movers and opportunistic eaters. Um, but it, in, in our natural environment, that's all we need, right? We were forced to move uh, we didn't have a choice. If we, if we wanted to survive, we had to move And those movement patterns naturally mimicked that, that, uh, kind of that long tail distribution that I just talked about earlier. I mean, we didn't even have to think about it, but now we do have to think about it. And on the opportunistic eating part of the equation, you know, we, we only had access to certain foods and that was it. And so we prioritized, we prioritized fats overall. 
uh, but we didn't have always have access to fats, and so we you know we gathered as well, and it, it, we just naturally fell into these these patterns that we didn't even have to think about because we weren't inundated with other choices. But now we are inundated with other choices. You know, I, I can choose. I have meetings to go to after this podcast. Now I could choose to hop in a car and drive to those meetings, but I have but I have forced myself into a situation. Maybe we could talk about this. I have forced myself into a situation by absolutely getting rid of my car. So now I have to ride a bike to these meetings, right? And then that's that that's a first world problem to be sure. In Texas, uh, that's brave. <laughs> it is. And in Austin, it's even braver. So, <laughs> um, even though we are set up, you know, it's probably one of the more uh, biking friendly communities in the U.S., but it's still, you know, you, uh, there's heat to contend with. There's just a lot. There's, there's social mores to contend with, right? So, I show up to a meeting and I'm dripping with sweat. That's just something I have to get over. Um, and it's something that the people I'm meeting with have to get over. But if I... If I value my health, which I do, that's, you know, that's it. Movement to me is part of my day to day activity. And that's, you know, I, it's a priority for me. And so I make it a priority. Um, and and that, that's, we just went way off on a tangent. <laughs> anyway, no, man, it's, you know. <laughs> it's great. It's, uh, and, um, you know, to give people perspective too is, uh, it it does help um, if they're looking at you and and saying in a meeting, okay, well, this guy came in, he's he's kind of sweaty, but uh, dang, he he might be twice my age and looks three times healthier than I do, um, you know, depending on who you're meeting with or whatever, um, because you definitely walk the walk and uh, have have you know are an inspiring person from that perspective as well, because. Uh, what are you, two or three hundred years old now? Um, <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm, just, uh, I'm just joking. We, the the Wolverine is one of your nicknames, and I know that uh, that he's like a couple hundred years old in the mythology of that realm. So yeah, I don't. I, I I'll say this: I feel like I'm 25. I may actually be 300 years old. I don't know. But I'll, go, I'll go. I'll go by how I feel. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, speaking of tangents, um, no, but, uh, so over the years too, like even from the time that I've known you, you've, you've kind of put some words, uh, some structure around to this, uh, methodology of your, uh, strength and conditioning and exercise, uh, templates that you like to use and templates is probably not the right word, but, um, you know, that combination of, uh, long tail, slow, uh, and long tail, but what we mean by that is just kind of like, you know, uh, often, right? Basically, like a lot of uh, walking or or low, low intensity uh, biking or basically aerobic, basically getting around um, and some of that stuff, and then punctuated by high intensity, whether resistance training and sprint training, um, but but now you've kind of got this term for all this, which is wave and weave. Is that is yeah. that correct? Yeah, that's that's totally it. Um, you know, you you wave intensities and weave modalities is is how I put it. And, and if you look at it, you know, hunter gatherer tribes, that's exactly what they do. They just don't have to think about it. It's just a natural consequence of how they live. Um, so for me, the biking portion of that is the long tail. Um, and, and it's a compromise. It, life, it, especially a modern life, is a compromise. And if you look at, at the hunter-gatherer societies, obviously they're not riding around on fixed-speed bikes. Uh, they, they're walking, um, and they do a lot of it. Um, even the male, even the male hunters are doing a lot of walking, and it, 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 I think some of the. Um, some of the studies I've seen, it's been anywhere from 12 to 20 miles a day of just movement, movement, movement in the, in the women as well because they're, they're primarily tasked with, with gathering. Um, and then it's punctuated by that sprint or by that momentary or, or uh, infrequent lifting of something very heavy. Uh, there's some kind of a power outburst, but it's very infrequent. And it and it comes at unexpected times. You know the frequencies change. You, you might you might have three days in a row uh, where a person is in a in a position to have to lift something heavy. Let's say 
and then mm-hmm. he might go a week without having to do it. So it's, you know, all of this for them is, is a natural construct of what it is to live. Um, now for me, I, and for anybody else out there, you have to take that information and then make some sense out of it when you're, you know, you're on a five, you've got this very unusual lifestyle, um, and I say very unusual lifestyle according to how we evolved of, you know, working five days a week, six days a week, you know, nine to five, or most people now in corporate America, it's like seven to seven, um, Mm -hmm. very high stress environments. And there's not a whole lot of movement and okay to, okay, that's, I'm in this wheel or on this wheel. Now, what do I do about it? How can I force some of this long tail movement in day to day to day? Um, and for me, um, I'm at liberty to, you know, change my routine up, uh, quite a bit just because I'm an entrepreneur, but I still fall into these categories, right? I still, you know, like today I have to get to a, have to get to a meeting. And again, I could drive there, you know, that would make the most sense in this environment, but I force myself not to by getting rid of my car. And I, I know my psychology, if I had a car sitting in the driveway, I would find something to occupy the time. There's always something to do. Um, I would force myself into a corner to where maybe I, you know, had the intent to ride my bike, but, oh, now I don't have time. So now I'm, now I, um, just going to hop in the car and go. And I realized this and I had done that for a while. And I was like, you know what? The only way out of this trap is just to get rid of the car. Now I'm forced to actually get on a bike and go. So a lot of this too, is just realize the, the, you realize your own psychology Right. And um, so in all of that is to say many of us realize the best thing to do, but actually implementing the best thing is it is a is another hurdle in and of itself. And just to realize that and then put yourself in situations to where you don't have any choice. And that's essentially what I did. That's powerful. And, and there's it's interesting to tie in the psychology and that self-awareness concept, because that's kind of one of the biggest things that I think value add for HRV for a lot of people or any type of self-tracking and quantification stuff. It's not necessarily just the act of quantifying that really gives you any benefit. It's that you starting to hopefully become more self-aware of when you do this, the numbers change this way, and that means this. And so then you, you know, if you're paying attention to that and trying to learn from it, then you don't have to have it all the time. I mean, you you should be able to um, exercise and uh, eat well and things without having to track everything all the time. But sometimes it helps to do a little tracking. And I know that y'all found that too on the exercise piece with the ARX machines. There's a, a quantification aspect to that. Um, maybe you could give a quick overview of, of what the ARX does and how the quantification plays a role. Yeah. So, uh, the ARX machine for people who are not familiar with it, um, is a, uh, it's essentially a winch. It's a, it's a glorified winch in the fact that, uh, I can pull against a winch. Um, you can imagine uh, me pulling a cord out from a winch and the winch is only letting that cord out at a certain speed, right? And that rate, that rate at which the cord is, is coming um, out of the spindle of the winch is fixed. And no matter how hard I pull, it's going to come out at the same speed. Um, and conversely, if I, if I flip the switch and now the winch is retracting the cord, um, I can offer resistance and, but that winch is going to continue to retract the cord at, at the given rate, no matter what I do. Um, I'm a pretty strong guy, but I'm not going to be able to overpower the winch. That's the idea of the ARX machine. And I can set this machine up to, I, I can pull on it just like I described, or I can set it up to where it's actually pushing an implement at me um, and, I'm, and I'm pressing. Say I could overhead press, I could bench press, um, I can deadlift. I can leg press. I can do any movement, uh, any basic uh, uh, multi-joint movement you can think of on this machine, and I'm offered resistance in uh, in the way of uh, torsional force in either direction, both concentrically and eccentrically. And the idea is that I go all out against this implement in both directions. And 
you know, I, I, I tell people why someone didn't think of this like years <laughs> earlier. I, <laughs> I, I don't know, but, uh, I, I don't know because, <clears throat> you know, once I, once I saw it and I, by the way, I, I had nothing to do with inventing this concept. The concept was already, was already out there in beta form. I just happened to come along at the right time to recognize its utility and its use. And in fact, I was, I kind of laughed at myself. I was like, I've been in this game for 40 years and I did not, I did not think, I, I feel really bad about myself for not, <laughs> for not having thought about this because the concept was so basic, but so right. I mean, it was just so right. Um, so anyway, that, that was my, uh, entryway to the ARX was I came along when it was in very, very much uh, beta form. And, uh, and, and I can, I can attest real quick that um, myself and the clients that I've trained on ARX machines can all attest to the fact that you get more work done in the shorter period of time than any other method that I've ever come across. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, you know, the way I can explain it, uh, really, it's so hard to explain without, the, without having the machine to actually get on. But if you could imagine if you were if you were lying flat and you were bench pressing, if there were some mechanism by which, you know, maybe it's evil elves or whatever that just that adjusted the weight to where you were at right at your sticking point, just below your sticking point with you doing an all out effort. So I lift the bar off my chest in a bench press and uh the weight as i lift the weight up off my chest that is actually the least amount of weight i could ever handle in the bench press is it is at that point because i'm biomechanically in a bad leverage position um so the evil elves would have a lighter weight on there but as i got more biomechanically advantaged <clears throat> as my elbows started to straighten <clears throat> and the bar rose off my chest i could handle more weight and the the evil elves would add that amount of weight. So I'm just always on the verge of failure, always on the verge of failure all the way up to lockout. And then on, um, on the eccentric portion, now they're adding a lot of weight because I can handle about 40% more force on the eccentric and, the, and they would just follow me throughout the motions. <clears throat> um, if you can imagine that you can imagine that you would be, your musculature would start to fatigue very, very quickly in that scenario. Um, and it, that's essentially what we do with the arcs fit on whatever exercise we're, we're working on that, <clears throat> you know, you could go all out for depending on how the person is wired. You could go all out for, for me, it's two or three reps. And then I kind of fall off the map, um, for someone who's a little bit more endurance wired, um, you know, they might be able to do six, seven, eight reps before they fall off the map, um, now, the endurance person wouldn't produce as much force per repetition. That's how they can kind of stay in the game for more repetitions than I could. Um, but they fatigue all the same and relatively in a very, very short period of time. Yeah, and there's there's a couple points with that too is you can get anyone from a physical therapy kind of injury rehab point of view and their max effort is going to be you know, safely, of course, assuming they're not going to do it to themselves. But, um, you know, they can safely put out some effort through a full range uh, that's safe for them and still get a good work at, all the way up to a power lifter or a high intensity athlete um, can put out a huge amount of force against these winches. And it it's no matter who you are, your max is your max. And it's it caters to you because it just moves it at a certain speed. Sure. And we've had, uh, you know, I can think of people right off the top of my head now that I've trained that have come, um, off of ACL <clears throat> reconstruction surgery, um, have come into, uh, come into train with us and their recovery has been so much quicker because they are able to, to strength train even with an ACL injury. And the idea being that they can only produce a little bit of force, but that little bit of force is what kicks in their, their recovery mechanisms. And they're able to do it in a very, very safe way, very, very safe and controlled. Um, so it's, you know, you think of classical physical therapy can only get you so far. The downfall of classical physical therapy is you're just not able to 
match the uh, the force output that the limb can go through in a in a safe and controlled uh, manner, and that's what really speeds recovery. So yeah, that person um, and on these machines, I can have someone who's right out of ACL surgery, barely barely producing force on the machine, and switch them out immediately with an accomplished power lifter who's in perfect health, and put them on the machine and we're off and running and there's, there's very little setup. I mean, the setup would be long enough for them to sign into the machine and that would be it. So, you know, 20 seconds turnaround at most. And whether you're a, you know, whether you're doing physical therapy or you're an accomplished power lifter, there's a quantification aspect to it too. And you mentioned concentric, which for folks listening who aren't familiar with that is usually when you're contracting the muscle into the movement. So like, um, you know, standing up from a chair is mostly concentric and then lowering yourself slowly down into a chair is more eccentric. And uh, this, since you're measuring both the concentric and eccentric, you can see the force output on the screen as you do it. And that 40, you mentioned just kind of briefly that you're 40% stronger in the eccentric. So like usually when you're lowering yourself down in that example I used, um, do you see that with everybody that you go through on the, on the ARX that most yeah. people are in? Yeah. So this is a cool thing about quantification, right? 40% is the, th- is the thumb rule. And that's what, um, I think they probably still teach in kinesiology and exercise, Fizz, which is a general thumb rule, but it but it um, it varies wildly between people, um, and you can see that um, in, in training. Now, you know, for me, it depends on what exercise we're talking about. I generally fall into the forty percent rule when we're talking about any kind of lower body exercise, um, upper body exercise. Sometimes it it creeps up a little bit higher, forty five to fifty percent. Um, and it changes between people too. Um, and we're able to see that on the machines and I can adjust the machines accordingly. And what I say, when I say adjust, um, what I'm talking about is that, um, I can set a, I can set a, a, uh, marker for these people. Um, I can give them a carrot to chase on the screen. Right. So in, in being able to track their, their force output, I can set a carrot that psychologically forces them to go all out. And, um, because, you know, we're all human beings and, um, the human mind does not like being put in a situation that's threatening and the, the central nervous system and the, uh, the human mind uh, when it's taxed to that effort tends to want to, in some people want to shut down or to, um, um, reserve a certain something. Right. But if I can, but if I can put and we were talking safely here, so I'm not going to have anybody just completely blow a gasket, but <laughs> to be able to, to be able to use this, the, the quantification we have in the, uh, the computer software we have, I can set these limits for them to chase so that they're constantly put under duress and they're not able to really um, sandbag, so to speak. Um, so that's, and that's if, a helpful tool as well. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely helpful to me. And, uh, you know, the, that's why some elite level power lifters and things do like ballistic training and, and some uh, override training to kind of reset their recalibrate their you know psychological thresholds because usually it's the mind that stops you before your body um which is healthy which is great yeah um but when you're in a kind of safe setup and we're also just reminding people like you know that uh we're not saying that you should load up a barbell for your max um you know and just try to crank max effort back squats all the time or something like that like this is this machine is actually tailored to safely take you to that threshold uh, and removing a lot of the dangers that coming from true max effort on um, you know free weights and other things like that so um, yeah and and another way that the machine can be used too is it can be used more in a time under tension methodology so maybe 
And, and there are times when, you know, max effort isn't the end all be all. It's uh, sustained effort would be the end all be all. And this falls right back into the wave and weave concept. So now my modality has changed from a few repetitions of all out effort to many back to back repetitions of sustained effort. Um, so I could set a, I could set a, um, a work output over, let's call it a minute or a minute and a half of continual work output. And maybe that is my goal. So no one single repetition would be an all out complete, you know, to failure effort, but I would be trying in a sustained manner to reach an end goal. So, you know, the, you could think of a, a rowing, for instance, on a CT rower or just rowing in general, that would be kind of analogous to that. So I have a, uh, either a time marker or a work output marker that I'm shooting for. So these machines also allow uh, that type of use as well. So, uh, so for the folks that don't have an ARX in their backyard, we can still learn a lot from this because, um, you know, you, you've clarified that eccentric, you're, you're, everyone's typically stronger in the eccentric for most movements, but it can vary by movement type and by person. Um, but the eccentric is typically where you get the most inroading into the muscle. Um, so if you're looking to do a lot of damage, so to speak, um, a lot of, uh, you know, cause a lot of stimulation to the muscle in the shortest period of time, then including eccentric in your exercises is important for that, but it's also more damaging. So if you're fatigued out, then, you know, maybe you want to focus more on concentric exercise on those muscle groups. Um, but, and then also that including, I guess, let me take a step back. Is the wave and weave going to be relevant for everyone from endurance all the way up to power sports? Is it, is there a way that people can incorporate it at both ends of the spectrum? Yeah, I think they can. Um, you know, as soon as someone moves into the competitive realm, all bets are off. Right. And so I, I tell people that, you know, training for a competitive event is one thing, right? But that's not real life. Um, and I, I have been through periods of my, in fact, I'm, it's odd you bring that up or curious that you bring that up because I'm writing a blog post on this right now. <laughs> I was just reading over your shoulder. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's a little creepy, but okay. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, there's a big difference in training for a competitive event in training just to be healthy and uh, training for life. And so someone training for a competitive event would use a small piece of the wave and weave methodology, but mostly they are training under a periodized uh, system, training system. And, you know, for your, for your listeners, um, a periodized training system might look more like a command and control type thing. Now we're moving out of our natural habitat and we're training an animal, in this, in this case, the animal being a human being, to be highly, highly specialized in one area. And to be highly, highly specialized in one area, all the training needs to be focused in that one area. Um, on the flip side of that, that's not necessarily healthy in the long term. This is why competitive athletes are only competitive, especially in the ballistic sports and the power output sports for a very short period of time uh, because the body just can't sustain that kind of stress in one generalized um, area of motion for very long. Um, so I think the first thing that people need to need to figure out is a, am I a competitive athlete? Um, am I doing this either to make money or because I'm, you know, getting my school paid for or, you know, whatever the reason is, they have to make that, deter that determination and then train accordingly. Um, I think one of the things that makes me most sad is people who, who really want to train for health and wellness, but who think they have to, to train like an athlete would train in a highly... Right you know, in a highly specialized, highly periodized training system. And you, and you don't, um, I've been, I'm probably healthier now, overall general health now. Well, I, I, I know I am uh, quantifiably I'm healthier, 
than I was when I was a competitive athlete. And I think the reason is because I am able now to wave and weave. I don't have to train myself for one very, very narrow range of specific tasks. Um, so yeah, that, interestingly, and I just had a kind of thought while you were saying that is that, you know, every activity we do, whether it's eating or, or exercise or movement causes some degree of inflammation and stress to the body. And that when you specialize and you do one thing over and over and over and over again, it starts really elevating the inflammation in one channel specifically. And in order for your body to deal with that increase in that channel, it has to make sacrifices in the other channels. And uh, so a wave and weave, incorporating the wave and weave is that you're able to, you know, stimulate the body a lot in a lot of different ways. It's not, it's not entirely just random. So you're not like drawing out of a hat every day, but, um, you know, it's a, it incorporates some auto-regulation it sounds like. So you basically, yeah, it's, you get some high intensity activity, but you'll naturally, you know, um, your body's going to say, okay, I've done that for a couple days. Now I, I need to tone it down, do some more, low intensity or, you know, I'm just speaking from off the top of my head, but, um, that's pretty powerful. That's, it's interesting. Cause that, that can be incorporated on the nutrition side too. It's like, if you eat only one food all the time, then you're going to be basically lacking a lot of the diversity that your body needs, um, for complete health. No, and, it's, it's totally true. It, it, you know, it works it works in everything. Uh, it even works in, you know, curiously enough in finance. Um, so Art Devaney, you know, has famously done work, you know, when he was an economist, uh, one of the big studies that he did was he looked at the movie industry <clears throat> and the movie industry at that time had thought that their, their income was, was, uh, more equally distributed across across all movies that a, that a studio would, would put out. And this is kind of what they thought. And they thought that if they could reproduce the model of those that were blockbusters, that they would, you know, stumble upon some kind of magic formula that every movie then that they put out would, would be blockbusters. And, mm. and it wasn't, um, you know, our Devaney showed them by doing economic studies that essentially there was no way to predict what the blockbuster was going to be, that there was no formula that whatever the formula was, was both a, um, obviously, and it didn't even really have to do with the quality of the movie that was put out, which, which is just kind of infuriating and frustrating to the movie industry, but into the publishing industry as well. But that's very hard to predict what's going to make money. There's so many factors that go into it. You just cannot predict what it is. that's going to be the blockbuster. Um, you just have to put out a, a, a certain volume to ensure that one of those will take off. Um, and that's essentially what publishing and movie making is about. Now it's just not, it's not totally random. I mean, we know in the movie industry and the publishing industry has a pretty good inkling of what doesn't work. Right. Right. So they can, they can kind of avoid those pitfalls, but they, but they cannot tell you with any accuracy what does work. All they can do is, you know, they're just taking chances with everything that they put out. The human body works the same way. Nature works the same way. We have a genetic aspect to this, that nature predicts what the epigenetic environment is going to be. So the, the organism is, uh, has this genetic imprinting, but we're also adaptable. Humans being the most adaptable organism of all, I mean, of the, of the animals anyway, um, and so we have this ability to adapt in an epigenetic sense to what our environment is. And so if you look at it that way, you can look at training and you can look at diet in the same way. So I have this window of things that I know that work, thus, you know, getting back to the long tail of, of the lower intensity, uh, high frequency uh, movements, day-to-day movements punctuated by the very high intensity stuff. Um, it, it, but then we still have a bit of, of uh, variability in there to where 
you know, it's in, this is one of those weeks, for instance, that I haven't lifted a weight yet. Today will be the first day in a week that I've touched a weight. Um, it's not always that way. Some weeks I lift weights five times in a week. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the, so I have that, that wave of intensities in there that's not just a predictable command and control. There is a natural, there's a natural flow in there. Now, on the other side of that, I know that lifting five days a week, week after week after week is going to be highly detrimental to me. I know that, right? And so I avoid that. And so there's this, there's this element of some control, but there's, but I give a lot of leniency to what my epigenetic environment is going to be. Um, and so there's this balance between control and lack of control, control and lack of control. Um, and yeah, we're going way on the philosophical side of things, but I think, no problem. but, but life is that way. And then, you know, on top of that weave, now I have this awesome tool of quantification that I can look at. Now I can, I can better dial in this wave and weave. So with something with HR, uh, a tool like HRV, now I can, now I can more finely tune that maybe, you know, maybe this week, Maybe I think that after an entire week of not lifting that, you know, today would be a good day to lift. But if I, but if I look at my HRV reading, maybe not, you know, maybe I've had other stresses this week that would, that would, um, have me not be in a state for a very, very high intensity burst. And that, that could be, so I have to take that into account. Well, this is where, quantification is so, so very important to our living in a modern lifestyle. Right. Yep. All of the inputs that are coming in often, uh, it's, it's difficult to just feel it out, you know? And, uh, so it's kind of like you just said, if the average person is kind of like, well, am I good for the, uh, to raise, you know, wave into the high intensity phase, uh, here, or is this one of the times when, because of other lifestyle factors or other things that I should be kind of focusing on that long tail, um, or recovery activity or just, or just focusing on the way I like to see it too, is like once people really get into uh, a comfortable routine, so to speak with their exercise and movement, um, you know, they don't want to be told like, don't do it anymore or something like that. So the first thing that you should do is look at the other areas of life, like sleep, nutrition, et cetera, to see if you can get a boost on those, um, before you, you know, give up something that you enjoy doing. Like if you enjoy whatever exercise that you do, um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting. A couple things I like scribbled a few notes down while you were talking in there was um, via negativa is a term that I learned from Nassim Talib. And it's basically a way of describing something by saying what it isn't instead of what it is. Yep. And uh, it just struck me as kind of that, you know, the the whole wave and weave concept and, and going in and out of control of or or tighter control and saying like, I don't know exactly what you should be doing overall for the best health, but I know what you shouldn't be doing. Yes. And, and that's just pounding one modality of exercise over and over and over again, for example. Um, so via negativa, knowing that you shouldn't be just pounding one thing over and over again, you definitely should be incorporating some variety and here's kind of a, a way of doing it in a way that is um, low stress and incorporates a lot of variety, but it's not just like random in the sense that even if you're in the tank today, you're going to be doing max effort back squats or something. Yes. Yeah. And I I think another thing too is, um, you know, whenever I get backlash from people that say, well, you know, all this, all this quantification really takes away from the heart of, uh, of what it is to live a paleo lifestyle. And I, I push back vehemently because, because we have traded as a species, we have traded living on the fringes, which, which we survived very well doing. And in fact, we're probably healthiest living on the fringes 
we've traded that for living in uh, modern societies with all the trappings of modern society, which is, which is on the one hand very, very good, but we've lost that living on the fringes portion of it. And this, this is where quantification can come in and help. Um, and this is where quantification is so vital to us living in a modern environment. Um, and I would argue it's a necessity to live in a modern environment and to be as healthy as possible. Um, just because we are not living on the fringes, right? We have all of these other trappings that on the one hand give us, uh, give our lives much meaning, but in giving us that meaning, it has given us too much on the leisure side of things. And this organism that we're, that we, this meat puppet that we walk around in, it has to have stress, Right, and that's the only that's the only way it can survive in a healthy way is to have periodic bouts of stress. Can't have too much stress, but it also can't have you know no stress. Um, and so, quantification helps us dial in the right amount of stress on this body. Um, and so, that's my pushback for people who say, "Eh, quantifications that doesn't fit into the whole paleo lifestyle." Um, but that that's my pushback on that. Yeah, there's there's so much to that. It's um I mean, first of all, you know, with all the noise that we're inundated with life is that um you know, just telling people to eat healthier and move more <laughs> it's like psychologically um okay, yeah, sure. Um and so some people really benefit from some objective kind of quantifiable measurement of progress to say, I am moving in the right direction. And, uh, and then, you know, similar to what you were just saying is, um, it's, it's tempting if somebody says, yeah, just move more, which is what our ancestors did to somebody then translating that to, okay, well, I just need to, um, run more, run more and run faster all the time. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you'll quickly see if you're quantifying some of your health markers that uh, that's definitely not the best path to health. Um, and so that just, it just helps uh, in our modern environment, like you said. So yeah, in this modern environment, I mean, the biggest piece of advice you can give people is to, to tweak whatever aspect of their life it is, whatever, you know, whether it's diet, uh, exercise, whatever it is, sleep, tweak, and then quantify and then tweak, quantify, analyze, wash, rinse, and repeat. And that's that will get you through this modern lifestyle. And then, of course, the question is, well, what do I tweak and what do I quantify? And that's where you have to, you know, you have to get knowledge and dive down a little bit further. But it, it doesn't, you don't have to dive in way specific. Um, right. Right. So I was going to say that elephant. <laughs> yeah, it's for sure. I mean, you just start with the easy stuff, you know, tweak your diet a little bit, quantify, analyze, see where you are. You know, do you feel better? Your clothes fit better? Have you, have you lost body fat, you know, lost inflammation? Um, you can start dialing that in, you know, for using the, the HRV, you know, let's start tweaking your, your exercise protocol. Let's, you know, start doing your very, very high intensity, heavy lifting days when your when your HRV reading, uh, suggests that today's a day to go and run with that, you know, and you wash, rinse, repeat, and just see where you're at. It doesn't have to be super highly complicated. And I think that's one thing that scares people, right? They try to, they try to jump into the quantification game and the biohacking game, and they, they try to dial 10,000 knobs at the same time. Um, and it, just is overwhelming to people. And, but you don't have to do that. I mean, you just start off with one simple thing, one simple area. And, and then it just, it builds just like a stair step. You just build from one to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, those of us in this game, that's how we've done it. I mean, we didn't just dive in twisting all the knobs at the same time. It's been, it, you know, it's a process. Yeah, definitely. So I want to give you enough time to ride the bike to the next meeting. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) let's uh let's follow up there's some time there's some things that i wanted to ask you that i know folks would be interested in there was some there's definitely some quantification that we did at efficient exercise that i'm sure you still do and have built upon since i was around um whether that's body fat or uh you know looking at bone density scans that we've that we've presented to people um, those types of things. And then uh, I've heard through the grapevine that you've been doing some some fairly radical experimentation on yourself lately. Sure. Um, so would love to dive into that sometime. Some, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, genomics and uh, potentially some, uh, you know, omega, uh, omega fatty acid looking and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so... Uh, Keith, uh, we'll follow up. Where where can people find you? I, I mentioned a bunch of different businesses. I know you're juggling half a dozen at any given time, but um, <laughs> successfully, I might add. But uh, you know, where's the best place for people to find you? Yeah, uh, probably. You know, as I move into this entrepreneurial realm, uh, Paleo FX is taking up more and more and more of my time, which is which I'm thrilled about. Um, you know, we didn't dive into the activist arm of PaleoFX a whole lot in this podcast, but really PaleoFX is turning into an activist organization um, on top of an educational organization, which I'm thrilled about because I do want to make a lasting change in the world. And um, there's there are many entities that are entrenched in our society that, uh, they, how can I say, don't bode well for human health. And we're out to we're out to change that. Um, so, with that said, um, PaleoFX www.paleofx.com is one place you can find me. Um, I do blog. Um, you know those blogs that Jason has been looking over my shoulder as I'm writing. <laughs> Creeping. Creeping. <laughs> do, do appear time to time at Theory to Practice, um, and that's at the very unfortunate uh, web address of ancestralmomentum.com which I realize is a total marketing faux pas, but there's a reason, <laughs> there's a reason why all that came about. It, it wasn't just happenstance. Um, but if it, you know, to, you can Google theory to practice in Keith Norris and it'll lead you right to the, right to that blog. Um, if you want to check out the machines that we were talking about, the ArxFit technology, that's at arxfit.com. Um, and if you happen to be in Austin, um, look us up at efficientexercise.com. And, uh, you know, if you're outside of Austin and you're traveling through, give us a shout. We'd love to give you, get you in and, uh, you know, show you what the arcs fit is like and show you what our training methodology is like overall. And, uh, just show you an example of that. But those are the, those are the places where people can find me mostly. Awesome. Yeah. I, I highly recommend if anyone goes through Austin to, to look up efficient exercise, it's definitely worth a visit. And uh, ARX, as far as I know, they ship. Uh, do they ship internationally too, or yes. just in the U.S.? Yeah, if we can, uh, if we can get in there, they they will ship. Uh, it wasn't too long ago we we took a couple uh, over to London. So um, perfect. Yeah, yeah so. and uh, just shipped some over to Australia not too long ago. So yes, well, there you go the, across the big ocean. Um, Cool. We'll put links to all that and to you in the show notes. Uh, Keith, really appreciate you taking the time. And like we said before, it's been a while since we caught up. So um, looking forward to catching up again and having an excuse to drag you back on here. So I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. i uh, thrilled to be on here, Jason. And uh, I cannot wait to come visit you in Asheville. Looking forward to getting back to uh, North Carolina a little bit. Yeah, there you go. Speaking of biking, we'll we'll rope you in for some of that over here. I'm in good biking shape, brother. I might not have the altitude training, but I've got the biking legs now. Uh Uh-oh, I need to start training. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Appreciate your time, Keith. We'll talk soon. Hey everybody, Jason here before signing off. Um, if you enjoyed that episode, we'd love to hear about it over on iTunes. That's where you can review the show. Uh, that's EliteHRV.com slash review, or you can just hit up the Elite HRV podcast on iTunes. And uh, I'd like to also hear if you've ever heard of the wave and weave exercise method that Keith described here. I think Keith coined that term, actually. 
but uh, it's a really fascinating concept that I've been trying to incorporate more into my own exercise routines, and that's the wave and weave method. So if you've ever heard of that or if you have any thoughts on that, I'd love to hear it. The show notes and links to Keith and everything that we talked about can be found over at EliteHRV.com slash podcast. And last reminder, exciting times, it's uh, fresh on my mind, is that we have an active campaign going, launching our new HRV sensor, which is called CoreSense, C-O-R-S-E-N-S-E, and that is over on Kickstarter or EliteHRV.com, and that is a finger sensor designed specifically to capture accurate HRV from your finger. And uh, all sorts of details, videos, charts can be found over on the website. Uh, Many thanks and glad to be back in action with the podcast. And I hope you enjoyed this episode and take care. We'll see you next time. Sponsored by HRVCourse.com. Truly understand the science and mechanisms behind heart rate variability and how to apply them towards your goals. Use discount code ELITEPODCAST for 10% off your first HRV course. That's all one word, ELITEPODCAST. Visit hrvcourse.com to get access today.